I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to pray. Um, before I read the text, I'm going to give you some information. So, as you know, we're working through Luke, and Jesus has been talking to his disciples, right? And his disciples, he's telling them kind of, hey, this is how it ought to be. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. This is not what it looks like. Okay, these are these things, and he's going into stories, and he's talking to the Pharisees on the side. All these sorts of things are happening. In the, the context of what we're in, we're writing a passage that's talking about, frankly, money, right? So he brings up this unjust steward from last week. After this, he's going to be talking about the rich man and Lazarus, so a little bit of money stuff going on again, right? Stuff. Now, I'm going to read to you the text, and I'm, I'm hoping that you'll see, as I read this to you, you're going to go, wait, what? Okay, that's my, can we just do that? Wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> okay. Now, <clears throat> let's just do it. Let's just read through it. I'm, I'm expecting a wait, what, at some point in this. I'm going to start with verse 13, the very last verse from last week. Put it up here on the slides for you. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Mammon. Okay? Okay, Jesus, we're with you. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Still with the story here? And so he says to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Okay, but still I'm tracking with what he's saying, at least to a degree. The law and the prophets were until John. This is John the Baptist. The Law and the Prophets is their way of saying the Old Testament. The first five books of the Old Testament, the rest of the prophets, right? Law and the Prophets were until John. John the Baptist showed up on the scene. Since then, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached. One of Jesus' favorite topics, the kingdom of God. And everyone forces his way into it. There's, that might be your first wait, what? Okay. I'm also thinking at this point in my study, where'd the money topic go? Right? But I thought we were talking about money, and they were lovers of money, and that's connected to this. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So then he's like completely off onto this law conversation. Now, buckle up. Because the next verse you're going to go, wait, what? Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There we go. <laughs> wait, what? Okay, now. Uh, do you think I need to do some talking on this topic? Yeah. 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 We, we may need to deal with this, right? What is he talking about? But, but first of all, 
what does this have to do with what he was talking about? Now, I think there's an answer to that question. I will admit to you openly that the answer did not come to me until this morning at about 7.20. I was still wrestling with it and thinking one thing, and then this morning at 7.20, the light bulb went on, and it started to click. So my notes don't quite match what I know I need to say now. Okay, so, so this is why I wanted to read and then pray, because now I need to pray and say, okay, God, you're going to have to help me here, because my notes, usually my notes are fairly clear about what, what I think I'm going to say and what needs to be said. There's, there's some stuff in my notes. I'm like, well, that wasn't where I should head with that. And so can we just take a moment? And actually, Paul actually literally took the words out of my mouth. I put right here earlier, just a moment ago, he said, let's pray for Matt, pray for clarity. He used that phrase. I literally had that written down, penned in my notes from just a few minutes before he said that, pray for clarity as I pray for this. So I'm praying now that God would help us to sort through this mess, because it's not a mess. It must not be a mess. This is Jesus, right? So maybe, maybe the mess is us, and we got to figure out how this pulls together. Are you with me? You ready? Okay, so in this prayer, what we're going to do is I'm, I'm going to, now you don't have to get up and actually do this, but I want you to mentally, spiritually, I just want to put your hand in the middle we're going to, it's like a football team. Okay, let's huddle up, and we're going to pray that God gives some clarity as we work our way through this passage, and then by the end of it, we're going to go, oh, okay? So let's, let's mentally, spiritually put our hands into the center, and it, feel free to do it, actually, if you'd like. If you just put your hand out here, that'd be awesome, okay? Put your hands up. Huddle up, fellas, ladies, gentlemen. Huddle up. Here we go. Dear God, in all seriousness, Lord, I want to pray now that you would Guide us through your word and help us to not miss your excellent wisdom in what you're saying. Lord, I believe wholeheartedly it is there. Lord, help us not to miss it. God, give us clarity as Paul prayed earlier as I pray now. Give us clarity. Give me clarity as I teach and preach through this. But Lord, all of us together as your spirit binds us together in this room Lord, I just pray that your spirit would guide, direct my thought, the text, the words, the hearing, the whole process. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I think I have a blank slide here. I, I feel in the bigger context of what's going on, so let's go back. I know that some of you are like, you need to get to verse 18 right now, Matt, because this relates to my life. Okay. Hold, hold your horses, as my mom would say. I feel a scuffle brewing in the text of Luke. Um, when I was a dean uh, at Danville High School, I could sometimes, I actually was not the best at noticing this. I was usually pretty poor at detecting the scuffle brewing. Uh, there was a few signs I always knew that a fight was getting ready to happen. One of them is this. When the kids would pull up their pants, I'd go, oh, they're getting ready to fight. <laughs> you know, that was, that was a fail-safe way because you, these kids, so many of them, they had their pants hanging down. Like, if they're ready to fight, they'd every single time pull up their pants, and then the hands would come at me. And so if I saw a kid pulling up his pants, I didn't go, oh, good. I went, oh, no. Somebody's getting ready to fight somebody. I don't know what's going on. There's a fight. There's a scuffle brewing, I think, in Luke. I think we have a bit of a scuffle brewing in our world. Would you agree with that? Uh, I mean, 
frankly, I, I don't agree with anything on the other side, but the other side says the same thing. This is a, a battle for the soul of our nation, I think I've heard the phrase. And, and I think that there's a reality that there's, there is, in some sense, there's, a, there's a, 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 a fight brewing. Would you at least agree with that, no matter what side somebody lands on, that things are getting testy, right? There, there's there's, there's uh, some feelings and emotions and things brewing, and, and, and sides are being picked by different people. And it's like, it's here and here and here. And it's been just fascinating sometimes to take a step back and watch the the things get shuffled up and where things are starting to land. And I think without being prophetic at all, I think we can all say since 2020, we've seen this going on, right? People going and this side and this side and things kind of settling out. And there, there's some people that are landing on my side. I'm going, I don't think you're really on my side. Let's be honest about that too. But there's a scuffle <laughs> brewing. And I think a lot of us can detect it. But more importantly, in our text, there's a scuffle brewing with Jesus. There's been multiple scuffles in church history and even before. Let me just go back briefly. Can I do this? I think this might be helpful if I just go back briefly. Throughout the Old Testament, we see lots of times where God's people swayed from God, swayed from the truth, swayed from the scripture, right? And then a prophet would come along and preach the word or open the word. Very rarely, every once in a while, somebody would give a word from God himself, and hence we would get prophets like Elijah and Elisha to kind of redirect the people. But then we also get all these prophets. So this is the law and the prophets. There's God's law was given as people swayed. Many times prophets would come along to point them back to the truth. And so we have Ezekiel, Daniel, and Hosea, and Joel, and Amos, and Obadiah, and Jonah, Micah, Nahum, back. Anybody that can say the books of the Bible, right? Go through the Old Testament. We're getting all these Old Testament prophets speaking God's truth, hearkening back to God's law and how People have wandered away from it, okay? The kingdom in those Old Testament times was attached very much to an earthly kingdom. And as battles were fought, many times with word and spirit and law in the Old Testament, sometimes occasionally there was actual physical battles that came out of those things. Here's the thing, though. That kingdom, that kingdom of God in the Old Testament failed. Man failed. God did not fail. But man did. And the Jewish kingdom, that kingdom of Israel, did not fulfill its ultimate mission to be a light to the nations and a light to the Gentiles. And so in that failure of that kingdom of God, Christ comes along. Now God sends his own son to establish the kingdom the way it ought to have been from the beginning. Now I know that I'm giving you some big picture ideas of what the Bible is about. This is one of those things. I, I'm having a difficult time not expanding on that further. But that, I want to give you a brief. This is important to the bigger context of what's happening. Does that make sense? God's kingdom with people in the Old Testament was the kingdom of Israel. But Israel was meant to be a light to the world. They were not. They did not do those things. And one of the things that God then does when he sends his son is to establish the kingdom in the good news of the gospel. Now, in the New Testament, Christ comes. A major battle is developing because the kingdom has, as some would put it, violently broken to the world. Think about that for a second. Can we just ponder that for a second? 
in history, there's this moment when God the Son became a human being and stepped into the world. That ought to be quite disruptive to the ways of the world. And what do you see when Jesus was here? A lot of kickback from the world, right? See all kinds of things going on. Just this disruptive reality of what God is doing. God sends his son. The gospel is given. The kingdom is being established. And it's not a kingdom of swords and spears. Jesus actually says that at one point. But I want to tell you, and I, I don't know where I have this at. Well, I think I can go ahead and put this next slide up here, yeah. It, Jesus actually says it at one point. Right before he's going to be crucified, he says this about his kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, be, would have been fighting, right? If, if that's the kind of kingdom I was establishing, and does anybody know who he's talking to here? Anybody want to take a wild guess? Actually, in this passage, he's actually talking to Pilate, a governor, right? Pilate is there, and he's speaking to Pilate, and he says, and Pilate's trying to figure out, are you a king or not? What's going on? Jesus said, yeah, I'm a king. So he's like, oh, you are a king then. Yeah, but then he says this, my kingdom is not of this world. I've got a kingdom. It's not, Pilate, what you're thinking, kingdom? Roman Empire. That's not what I'm talking about. How about something else? And he says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Now, this fight is brewing, though, nonetheless. And it's a fight of word and spirit and truth. I think what we're experiencing, because I'm going to tell you right now, if, if, if we go back to the, those verses we had, right? He's talking about money and possessions and things, and he's going to go back to that, because right after this text, he's going to go to the, this, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So, but right in the middle, he gets interrupted by the Pharisees. Did you see that at the, that verse 13? They said Pharisees were lovers of money. They started to ridicule him. Did you hear that? Pick up on that? Jesus stops what he's doing, deals with it, and he goes right back. Now, there's a couple of situations that this reminded me of. The first one that this reminded me of was uh, Chuck Norris. This felt like a Chuck Norris roundhouse kick to the Pharisees is what it felt like. I mean, he's right there, and he's going, and he's like, Pharisees interrupting, and he's like, boom, and then he goes back to what he's talking about, right? Now, there's another situation that I don't want to talk about too much, but I, I will, I have to allude to it. I can't avoid it, because I am who I am. Long time ago, I was sitting there with my wife, and we were talking with my mother. Is she in here? She's not in here. Oh, good. My mom... My mom was sitting there, and she was talking to us. And Ashley is part of the story as well. She was, she was just a little one, little one there. And she's not in here either, so whew. don't tell her I said this. Um, so I'm, we're sitting there. To, oh, <laughs> she's watching me through the back door. Oh, you're going to kill me for this one. Um, so she's, she's, she's sitting there, and I'm talking to my mom. Serious conversation. My mom's going, oh, talking about something, probably something hugely full of wisdom or something along those lines. And, and, and so picture it, if you will. She already knows what story. You know what story I'm telling? Yes? Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting here. My mom's there. We're kind of off to the side. She's having this conversation. 
Ashley's standing there, little tiny Ashley. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was she started to do, but she started to do this thing that my mom did not like. And my mom, this, I'm going to act this out. My mom's going, huh. <laughs> Pops her right in the face, doesn't miss a beat, goes right back to the conversation. Now, now, the rest of the family, and my mom is just continues the conversation on. She just goes right back to it, and it's whatever it was. She, I don't even remember what it was now. This is the only part I can remember about that conversation. Because, you know, it happens, and, and, I, and Ashley's sitting there, and, and she's like, <laughs> you know, the, the face. Started, you know, but my mom was just like, corrected this thing, right? With that just, I mean, you couldn't even see. It was so fast. Like, you couldn't see the hand leave the side. It just, like, happened. Boom. And then it was back, and she was back to it. I'm going to be honest with you. When I read this text, when it finally started to click, this is what I was envisioning in my mind. Okay? Now, with that mental picture, (laughs) is that a good mental picture? Uh, Go with whichever one you want. Chuck Norris roundhouse kicking somebody or actually being smacked in the face by my mom. Whichever one helps you. Uh, I'm going with the smack in the face. Uh, I do love Chuck Norris, but uh, uh, I, I, I like the smack. Uh, so let, let me explain why now the insanity of my thought here might make some sense. Okay, can I do that? So let's, let's go back to it. So let's go back to verse 13 again real quick. Let's examine this, and I'm going to lead you in a merry little chase down the path to see why I believe this was a roundhouse kick or a, a quick smack to the face by Jesus to the Pharisees, okay? Now, so let's go back. Jesus has been talking about money. In verse 13, he gets to, he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And he's speaking these truths to his disciples, it said at the beginning of chapter 16. Now, he's been doing this all along, and he's going to come back to these things later. He's laying out this, this idea. This is what the kingdom is like. I mean, even if you go back to the prodigal son, right, it it looks like this kid, not this kid. It looks like the kid that went out and blew everything, and then then he comes back humble before the father. It doesn't look like the son that stayed and supposedly did everything right, but really is the real one that's rejecting the father. Do you see that? So he's laying out, this is the, the reality of the kingdom. This is what it's really about. Don't miss it. Don't miss the kingdom. And as he's teaching his disciples, these Pharisees hear this, and we get some insight into what's going on behind the scenes. In fact, what we see here, the Pharisees, verse uh, 14, Luke says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. Now, this word money is not the same word as mammon earlier. It's actually a a word that's only used uh, twice in the New Testament, like a lover of silver, right? The second part of that word, lover of money, that's translated money right there, is a word that's Uh, used, I think, four or five times in the New Testament. It's always translated silver. We're talking about cash here, okay? Cold hard cash. These Pharisees, they they loved the cash, okay? And so what do they do? They hear all these things, and they start to ridicule Jesus, okay? So they start to mock Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you some insight into what's going on in the heart of the Pharisees. Let me explain an aspect of what the Pharisees believed, the Pharisees, for the most part, were wealthy and well-off. And one of the things that they believed, and I, you're going to hear this and you're going to go, oh, there's some people in the, our world that believe this. One of the things that they believed is if they were wealthy, they were blessed by God. 
okay? They're, them doing well and being prosperous was a sign to them that they were being blessed by God. And so they were like, hey. And, and what they would do then is they would say, well, obviously we must be in the right because look how, look how blessed I am. And they would justify themselves as being righteous in God's sight. And they, they were, this is how God worked. God blesses. Doesn't God bless people that he's pleased with? There you go. So I'm obviously blessed, so therefore I'm the one that's right. And you're wrong. That's the Pharisees, lovers of money. The only other place in the Bible we see that particular phrase is uh, in Timothy, where it talks about the end, when we get to the end. And that's one of the big, long list of things that you're going to see with people in the end. But this ridicule was a theological, I think a philosophical worldview sort of disagreement that they had with Jesus, and they're mocking his stance. I imagine, potentially, I have nothing to back this up, but Jesus didn't have a house. Doesn't he talk about that? Didn't have a place to lay his head. I can imagine them saying, oh, sure, that's, you're poor. Of course you're going to say all these terrible things, right? But they're ridiculing him, mocking him, and Jesus responds. So now let's go to verse 15 and begin this roundhouse kick. Now, if this had come to my mind earlier, I would have had all the steps for you with pictures of how the roundhouse kick begins and ends. And this would be the first step in what he does. So verse 15, as he responds, so now he's teaching his disciples. The Pharisees start mocking him. He pauses what he's doing and faces off, right? So can you see the hand? See the hand? If you, can't, if you want, you can picture my mom doing this. I know some of you are like, some of you are probably thinking, you've met my mom, so some of you are probably like, her sweet little Teresa Harmless? You don't know. Do, do they? Uh-uh. They don't know. They don't know. Fastest hand in the Midwest. Could not get by with anything. Right back into the, right? The hand starts to come out. Jesus says this, verse 15. He said to them, oh man, you can just feel the directness of it. I, I, I sense his planting his feet and turning and facing them, right? You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. And can you feel it? And then he says this, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, he hasn't gotten into the specifics of what's being said, but I want to plant a little thought in your minds that may help. One of the things that is missed about the Pharisees, I think, from studying through Scripture, I think that most people could see it. The hypocrisy of these people. I think that... Common Joe, I think that them, even in their self-deluded state, somewhere, have you ever been so like con- justifying yourself? Maybe you were arguing with your spouse or maybe you're arguing with somebody else and you're like arguing, arguing like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But have you ever done that? And like in the back of your mind, the thought starts to enter in, I'm not right. <laughs> Has that ever happened? I'm not right. And you ever, you ever keep doing it? Right? Ooh, and you keep, you keep the argument going. And Paul, don't look. Like, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Your wife knows. 
Anybody else done this? Where you, you're, you're, you're arguing. I mean, you're going to stand your ground. And then have you ever have that moment? The thought is like, wait a minute, I'm wrong. I think the Pharisees, to some degree, this is what's going on. They start to ridicule and mock. Instead of dealing with the actual issue of what they're doing as Jesus confronts them about their behavior, instead of dealing with that, they start to turn it around, as we do when we're wrong and we argue, start to pick on points that we think we could pick on. And so they start ridiculing Jesus. And Jesus is going to have none of this. He's got disciples. He's teaching and training. And he just turns around right to these Pharisees and says, "Here's here, okay, Time out. Guys, you're of those who judge. Ju- okay, so s- step number one, if we had a step number one in, in this roundhouse kick, is to discern what's really going on. This is a very difficult thing to do. Okay, I think Jesus does it better than anybody else does. But I think it's something we ought to attempt to do, and I'll get to more on that at the end. Jesus is able to, not just because of who he is, but also him acting on behalf of the spirit and the truth recognizes this is the real issue. We've got some people right here, these Pharisees, they ju- they're justifying themselves. That's what's going on. And so the step starts. He gets his feet planted. He discerns the heart. Number two, though, he sees in that discerning, he is able to detect what is really going on. What's really going on. This is, this, is what's, this is the real issue here. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you had somebody confront you and, and out of their mouth they brought up what really is going on, is that easy to take or hard to take? Difficult, isn't it? So not to cast too much judgment on the Pharisees and their response. I've been on the receiving end of somebody having that moment of clarity and speaking truth to me in the middle of where... Like and I'm, I'm, I'm like boom, 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 and the, then the truth comes. Of okay, this is what's really going on. Here's the real problem. This is what you're really doing. And so Jesus does that to them. So number one, discerning the heart. Number two, seeing what's really going on in that discernment, being able to come down to what is really going on. But then number three, notice what he does. He begins to take what they are doing and holding it up. To God. Do you see how he does that here? What is exalted among men, this thing that you're exalting this thing. And I think the thing, what they're exalting is hey, we're doing well and prospering. So we must be right. That's a philosophy we know that the Pharisees held on to tightly. So hey, if everything's going well, I must be the one that's right. Now that's kind of painful because let's be honest. Sometimes we do the exact same thing. If we got our lives in order, do we look down on those who have their lives that are a wreck? Hmm? And this is what Jesus says. You're exalting. Just the fact that you got it all together, you're, you're saying that that's, that's what it's all about. And they're missing it. They might have their lives all together in one sense, but in other ways, they're missing it entirely. These tax collectors and sinners he's been fellowshiping with their, their lives are a wreck, but in their repentance, they see the one key thing, Jesus saves. And the key issue they've got, and the Pharisees are missing the key issue. Does that, is it starting to click a little bit? 
So here we go. Hold it up to God. I want to uh, read something to you um, from a pastor named John Owen. This goes against a little bit what we normally think of on how to view life, but I think he's hitting on something. Now, he's going to come at it from a perspective, and I, I wish I would have put it in the slide, but I didn't, didn't have a chance. He's talking about this exact thing in, in our own lives. He says this, Be thoughtful about the excellence and majesty of God and your infinite, inconceivable distance from him. Okay? Some of you are like, Think about the majesty of God and how far you're from him. It will not be long if you do that. It will not be long before you are filled with a sense of your own vileness. Yeah, well, that doesn't sound very positive. You're right, it doesn't. But this is an important comparison to make. This realization will strike deep at the root of any indwelling sin. When Job clearly discovers the greatness and excellence of God, he is filled with self-abhorrence. He is pressed to humiliation. And when Habakkuk grasps the majesty of God, he affirms the state he is in. Quote, when I heard my stomach turn, my lips quivered at the voice, decay entered my bones and I trembled, hoping I might be left alone in the day of trouble. Job says, with God there is terrible majesty. For this reason, those in the Old Testament thought that when they had seen God, they thought they would die. And that is true. Throughout the Old Testament, people that saw him and got glimpses of God were like, I am undone. The scripture is filled with this self-humiliation. When compared to God, it describes men as grasshoppers as worthless, as the powder left on the scales after weighing the mountains. Maintain this train of thought to degrade the pride in your heart and to keep your soul humble within you. There's nothing better to insulate you from the deceits of sin than this frame of heart. Ponder extensively the greatness of God. Now, I know, our world doesn't talk like that, does it? In fact, I know many in Christian, girls, Christian circles, they'll, they'll start talking about, hey, you, you are worth so much in God's sight that he did this, he did this, he did this. Understand, God did what he did, not because you were worth it, but because he was worth it. He did not send his son to this earth because he thought you were worth it. He sent his son to this earth because you weren't worth it, but he was, and his glory was worth it. And it's important for us to keep that in mind. According to John Owen, it's for recognizing and defeating the ultimate of all sins in our hearts, which is pride. And the Pharisees, what Jesus is doing is he's taking what they're doing and he's saying, you're exalting this behavior in your life, but what you're exalting is in God's eyes an abomination. They were sitting there going, not to overuse this today, hashtag blessed. <laughs> and God is going, that's sick. That is abominable. Taking your behaviors. Now, now, if I take my behaviors and I hold them up to people in this world, I'm way better than some people. 
<laughs> now, don't mock me. I know you do the same thing, don't you? But when you take who you are and your behaviors and your passions and all that you are and you hold them up to the glory and the majesty of God, suddenly you get this much different perspective of yourself. And what I think is more important than that is you get a much more realistic perspective of who you are. That's what's important. Now, so Jesus has turned it around on them. He's pinpointed it out. He's going right for the heart of the issue. You're justifying yourselves. You're declaring yourself. You're looking at all these poor tax collectors and sinners. Like, we're way better than they are. And my proof of it is that we're doing really well financially. That's what they're doing, literally. We're blessed by God, so we must be in the right. And so now it starts to make sense why Jesus does what he does next in verse 16. Because the standard of what is right is not how I feel about things. It's not going to be what I think about things, just all of my own. There is a standard of what is right. And what is that standard? It is God's law. Now, I'm going to take a side rabbit trail here. So what I'm getting ready to talk about with the law and the prophets and how that relates to the New Testament gospel, I'm going to tell you right now, this, there, there's whole classes, whole books written on that topic. Okay? And there's a lot of confusion in our world, so I don't want to avoid it. I don't want to write a whole book this morning. Are you glad about that? Somebody, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, lunchtime almost. And I'm almost done. So, we go, well, we don't want the whole thing. Well, okay, so what, what I talked with Paul about this this morning. I think one of the things we're going to do on Thursday nights, not this coming one because I'm not going to be here, or the one after that, but um, I want to give myself some time. We're going to take some Thursday nights as a... As, time here to, to talk about, let's, let's explore this. How does God's law relate to how we live? There's a lot of confusion. Some people say it's all, none of it. Some people say all of it. What, what is it? What's the right? What's the truth? How do we handle it? Does the Bible talk about that? Does Jesus talk about that? You got to understand this is Jesus talking. He says, in one sense, he says, the law and prophets were until John since then so somebody could take this verse by itself and say, well, that was then. Now it's all grace. And let's be honest. Are there churches today that are doing that exact thing? The law was then. Now it's all grace. And they take it to a certain direction. I'm telling you right now, is that what Jesus is saying here? I think we should talk about it. Law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached. Let me share another passage. Matthew shares the same statement. With a little bit extra information. I think it's a parallel statement. I don't know if it's the exact same one, but it's going to sound very similar. Listen to Matthew's statement of this. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 12 through 14 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, and so it's going to sound a little bit different, has suffered violence. It's that same word. Did you hear that word force? That, that word that's translated force in our other text. Here, let me go back. Everybody forces his way into it. That verb right there, you see it twice here. Um, has suffered violence. The first time is right there. It's the same Greek word, okay? The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. So here's that word. This is actually a different word that's translated here, um, but the word that we see force in our text is translated violence twice. That's interesting, isn't it? For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So there's a little bit of a different context, but do you see a similarity in the thought here? Let's go back to ours. The law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Now I've got um, two pages 
of, uh, that I'm going to skip of all the different ways that this verb, this, this verb could be taken in a lot of different ways. Okay? It could be taken negative in the middle voice. means all act violently against it. It could be taken positive. Um, in the middle voice, everyone tries to force his way into it. It could be taken negative, but could be translated, everybody forces uh, their way into it in a different way, like a different way, completely different thought. Sometimes it could be all are urged insistently to come in. There's a whole bunch of different ways that this could be taken. And every single one of my commentaries took a different approach. <laughs> okay? And so I got stuck on this for a long time yesterday. What in the world does this mean? Regardless of what it means specifically, there is something that they all agreed upon. When God's kingdom broke into this world with the presence of Jesus Christ, in so many ways, regardless of how you look, that was a violent tearing of our world. And it violently disrupts the systems of this world. God became a human and started walking around with us. Right? What? And then he starts telling people things and teaching them things. And what do you, guess what? Some of the things that the world has been convinced of, like this is how it works and this is how things go. God shows up and he starts saying something very different in his teaching. And you see, no matter how you take it, you could take it one way. This, this is violently. And so some people took it as, hey, this forcing their way into it. The, these tax collectors, sinners, they're like, anybody can get in on this. Isn't that what we say here at church? Anybody can get in on this. And I, you see them frantically like embracing the kingdom of heaven and jumping all in. But you also see the Pharisees who are forcing other things onto it. In fact, as the church is established, you see the same thing going on. The Pharisees and the, the Jews want to continue bringing in aspects of this righteousness that is earned into the kingdom. And those first church fathers have none of that. Jesus came. He is our righteousness. Boom. That's all that it is. But regardless of how you take it, this is a violent, crazy thing that happened 2,000 years ago. God's kingdom was established by the law and the prophets. When you get to John, things change. Now it's the good news. The Pharisees don't like this, but like a wrecking ball plowing through their kingdom, that's what's happening, right? The kingdom is bursting into the world, and people are scrambling to get in or to hijack it. In some way, I think this is what Jesus is talking about. But I want you to watch what he does next. Because I think we could talk about this aspect, and that's why I want to take some Thursday nights to really unpack all of that. But watch what he does next in the context of this moment. You ready for this? I mean, where am I at in the roundhouse kick? I mean, he's like up here. The leg is coming up. He's like getting ready to extend, right? Check, or maybe it's the hand this far from Ashley's face. <laughs> She's going to kill me. Um, listen to what Jesus does next. He says, it'd be easier for heaven and earth. Now, that's all that's up there and all that's down here. It'd be easier for all that stuff to just pass away than for one little dot of the law to become void. 
Now, for those people that heard that last part and said, well, the law and the prophets are up to John, John, then the gospel, but you got to go to the next verse because what it, then he turns around and he says this. If you're thinking that means it just goes away, you're not hearing it correctly. Does that make sense? Now, you may go, well, how does that all work together? We'll get there. Jesus is going to give us one example in the lives of the Pharisees. I think that one thing that will help when we look at this next verse is if you understand something about the Pharisees, that the Pharisees knew and Jesus knew, and I was going to say Joe Schmo, this uh, you know, average person in that day, but it wouldn't have been Joe, it would be like Judah, <laughs> you know, uh, Judah, the average Judah knew. Um, everybody in this situation would have seen this and known about what he's getting ready to say. One of the common teachings of the Pharisees, I'll give you, I'll give you two of them. Uh, Rabbi Hillel from this time period, one of the things that he said is, hey, if, if your wife uh, ruins your dinner, burns it, you have the right to divorce her. <laughs> that was the reaction I was needing. Right? What? <laughs> That's what they taught. Okay? Uh, another one said um, at this time, if, if you are married, but then you find a woman who's prettier than your wife, you can divorce this wife and go marry this one. Well, she's prettier, so I'm, I'm just moving up. <laughs> That's what they taught. And guess what? That's what they did. Right? Marriage to the Pharisees was disposable and flippant. And so Jesus, in this text, is not offering us an all-consuming teaching on marriage. Now, let me just go to it because we want to talk about the elephant in the room. Um, If this was the only teaching on marriage in the Bible... About half of us in this room would go, well, crud. (laughs) Right? Can we just say that? If this was the only one. Now, let me throw this in there, too. It's not, by the way. In fact, do you think we should also, in a subset of dealing with the law and how it plays out, do you think we should probably take some time and talk about this? Would that be interesting to anybody in the room? Yeah? How How does, what does the Bible teach about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Uh, let's just thank God that this is not the only verse on it. But you know, what's, you know what I thought this morning? I thought, you know, the really important thing about this is, though, if this was the only one, are you of the mindset that would say, I'm going to adjust my view and get on board with Jesus or not? I think that's the real question you'd have to ask, isn't it? Well, be thankful. It's not the only one, okay? But what Jesus is doing here, because of his audience, the Pharisees, you know what he's talking about with this divorce right here? Jesus is talking about the type of divorce that the Pharisees were doing. Their divorces were not what God had permitted. Their divorces were flippant, abusive, terrible things. And guess what? Who knew it? They knew it. You know who else knew it? Jesus knew it. You know who else knew it? All the people around. Your average Judah knew it. You know who else knew it? God knew it. God saw the heart. And so... You know what Jesus is doing here? He brings it back. He says, you're sitting there. You're justifying yourselves. You're going to pick apart these things. But then what, do you see what he did here? He brought it back 
this something that they were clearly, no questions about it, guilty. You see that? He brought it back to, here, here's where you guys, this is where the hand met the face. (laughs) This is where the Chuck Norris roundhouse kick met the villain on the chin, right? Jesus was teaching his disciples. This is what it looks like. This is what what disciples are like. This way, and then they went, "Where are you?" And Jesus goes, "That's what we just witnessed in these these verses." Roundhouse kick to the Pharisees, because you know what? They're guilty of this. They have taken God's law, and they've abused it and stretched it and twisted it to justify their own behaviors so that they can condemn everybody else. Now, this morning when that finally started to sink in, I was like, thank you, Jesus, because I I was sitting there going, what does this have to do with anything? But there is that connection. This is what Jesus is doing in this moment. Now, I'm going to end today with just two examples to ask myself. I asked myself the question this morning. I know there's probably a ton more examples that we could dig into, but this was just this morning. I've got two examples I think we should really consider. Think that one of the elements of this, this deployment, what Jesus did here, I think there's a, a little bit of a pattern. Now, Jesus, does Jesus respond this way to the Pharisees all the time? No. In fact, there's times where Jesus doesn't answer a word. To, to different people. Sometimes he just lets it go. Sometimes he, so this is not meant to be, this is how we respond to all these sorts of things, right? But in this particular case, I think there's at least a potential of how we ought to respond, in Jesus' case, to ridicule from those on the other side that may be saying something. Do you see what Jesus did? There was some discernment to see what the real issue is. Bring that issue up compared to God and take a specific piece of the text and apply it to that life. I think a perfect example of this in our world today that we see, and I don't want to stretch, I don't want to stretch anything, but I couldn't get away from this example. I was like, I can't help but see this. I've seen a lot of people that are in churches, and one of the things they do is they've done this exact same thing. They've twisted and distorted the law of God in order to justify themselves. Okay, now, you may be thinking of examples already in your head. Twisting and distorting of God's law. There's still a place for it, obviously, from Jesus. They've twisted and distorted God's law in order to justify themselves. And then they look at those who continue to hold on to the things that the ridicule starts to come, and there's obviously a world of filth going on. Now, when I had that example, I thought about spending some time on that example, but then it hit me right as I was right there. I thought, you know what? You know what's even more important than this? Could we turn the discerning look of Jesus back on ourselves? Because let's be honest, I didn't even get to the point of that first example, but that's easy, isn't it? It's easy to, 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 oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Matt, I see where you're going with that. Mm -hmm. They do it, they do, but let's talk about us for a minute. Are there aspects in your life, in your heart, that the discerning look of Jesus. Now, this is where it gets challenging, but this is where I have to say, there, there's, a, 
there's a reality beyond the physical right now. There's a Jesus who is king of the universe, and there is a spirit that he has sent into the world for his people to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. So I don't have to figure out what the thing is that you need to hear. But can you take a moment in your head, in your heart, and say, okay, Lord, what, I mean, I might be saying this, I might be saying this, I might be saying this, but Lord, what things, if you were here, what, now with the Pharisees, it was this issue, Right? He went to the law. This is it. That was it for them. It may not be this for you. What is it for you? Now, we're going to take uh, communion together. And what I want to encourage you to do during this time, because I'm just going to, I'm going to leave it up to the Spirit's hand to do this. I'm going to ask you that when we go to distribute this bread in this cup, I'm going to ask you to take some time between you and Jesus and say, Lord, if you were standing here, what smack would you smack me with? Right? What, what, yeah, both hands, elbows, would you do the roundhouse kick? What, what thing in my life would you point out? I mean, he pointed this out in public in front of other people. What thing would Jesus, if Jesus was here right now, and you, you were like, what would you say? What, and I, and I, think, I think, at least potentially, that if you take some serious time with Christ today and say, Lord, what would it be? I think that you're going to realize what Jesus is. He's going he's to tell you. He's going to go, this. You've been doing this. Now, don't, don't think about the person next to you. Don't go, Jesus, what would you? I hope that they're praying this because they need to get smacked, God. And I just, would you, would you, would you like work in their heart? to the, or, or maybe it's somebody that's not here like, oh, Lord, I wish you were there to smack them. That would be awesome. Just roundhouse, Chuck Norris roundhouse, kick them to the curb. That would be awesome, Lord. It, uh, don't let yourself do it. Just take some time to say, Lord, what would you pinpoint in me? What would it be? Forget everybody else for a minute. You're standing before God in his presence. Lord, what would it be? Shine your light on me. Shine your truth on me. Lord, what would it be that you would pinpoint? What things have I been twisting to my, for my own justification to make myself feel okay about what I'm doing. What things are there that I may need to today repent of and turn away from? What are those things? Right? So I'm going to take a minute here. I'm going to have some guys come up and get this. They're going to distribute this bread and this cup out. Um, actually, if you guys want to go ahead and come up, whoever's doing it, distribute this bread and this cup. Once you get it, just hold on to it. And uh, take some time, pray, Lord, what would that be? I mean, and feel free to pray, Lord, what would you smack me with? What would your roundhouse kick me with today? What do I need to hear today from you? Heavenly Father, I just pray now that you would bless this bread and this cup, Lord. I just ask that as we come to you, hoping and trusting in your salvation by your broken body and by your shed blood for our righteousness. Lord, help us not to take advantage of that and trample on that to justify ourselves in our own righteousness. Lord, what would it be that you would come to us today and point out, whether that's as us as individuals, us as a church? Lord, what is it? 
God, I ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to those things today. In Christ's name, I pray this. Amen.